Passwords have been quote unquote dying for decades now. There's always some new thing trying to get rid of passwords. But the reality, I think, is a lot more nuanced than that. There's been so many different attempts in the last 10, 20 years to replace passwords or improve passwords and the security around them. But all of these attempts have been at the expense of the user. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about passwords, and more precisely, it's about finding a way to securely access individual accounts. And if that sounds niche, it is not. Accessing things that are meant only for us happens every single day in the physical world, from using your keys to enter your home, to using your keys to enter your car, to using your keys to enter maybe your mailbox if you're in an apartment building, to, uh, okay, so it's a, it's a lot of key use. But notice already that none of those everyday situations perfectly mirrors what also happens every day online, which is that we enter passwords that we create to log into or access our online banking platform, or our router portal to troubleshoot internet problems, or our utilities provider to check why the hell gas and electricity have become so expensive as of late, or that one tool that your office makes you use to log time off, or your email because you're trying to log in on another computer and so it doesn't remember your password like your own device does, or that other tool that your work also makes you use to file expense reports and very quickly, the problem with passwords becomes clear. We have too many, and because it is impossible for us to remember them all, we reuse them. This is the point where, typically, you'd hear someone criticize you for this. Stop reusing passwords. Uh, reused passwords lead to cyber attacks. Use unique passwords for every account. Use multi-factor authentication. And that is all true. You do not get a pass on that, and I'm not going to tell you that you don't have to worry about it. You do. But I am going to tell you that the shaming that comes from the cybersecurity industry feels misguided especially when you look at the reality of most people's uh, password lives. Uh, look, I checked my password manager to write the intro to this show, and I found that I have 206 logins saved. And let's scrutinize that for a bit, because a login isn't just a password. Imagine I gave you 206 song titles to remember, and now, Imagine I also asked you to remember what album those songs belonged to. That's what we're being asked to do every day, to remember not only a password, but the account it accesses. The good news here is that the problem with passwords is known. It is not a secret, and in fact, many people are working to solve it. As a brief preview, a group called the Fido Alliance has gained support from Google, Apple, and Microsoft to build and roll out a form of passwordless authentication called PassKeys, and we're going to learn all about them. 
today to help us understand the future of passwords, whether we will ever truly see a passwordless future, what that would even mean, what pass keys are, how they work, and what password manager makers are doing during this potential change in security. We're speaking with Anna Poblitz, head of password lists at 1Password. Anna, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. We're excited to have you here. And it's a pretty big topic, uh, something that's been on the horizon for, I think, a really long time. And with all of that, I think there's a lot to dive into. And so I just wanted to start, like I said at the beginning of the show, right? The problem with passwords is pretty simple. People reuse them and reuse leads to cyber attacks. But I've kind of felt that the upset from the cybersecurity industry, like my industry, feels wrong sometimes because we're asking everyone to create and remember an impossible number of unique passwords and then we shame them when they can't do that impossible task and so my question here is how do you talk to users to get them to change their password behavior because if companies chiding them for decades hasn't worked and and it hasn't right password reuse is still a problem then i'm wondering what does work? That's such a good question. Password hygiene is actually a really hard problem. It is really hard to think up 206 strong passwords, like you said, and a lot of websites just make it harder for you. I signed up for something recently, and it took me like six tries to create a valid password because the requirements were so crazy. I needed a bunch of different characters and numbers, but I couldn't have repeated or consecutive letters and numbers. It's so overwhelming, and, and this is what I think about all day, every day. So it can be really overwhelming and frustrating. But at the end of the day, I think people want to be more secure. So when I think about how do we get people to stop reusing easy-to-use passwords, a habit that's ingrained in them since childhood, I think about how do we actually make the easy thing the secure thing? Like Our memories and our brains can only hold so much information. So I think the answer is that we need to build hygiene into the technology itself rather than shaming and then putting the responsibility on users to actually figure out what is security in this case. What would that look like? And that's such a great idea, right? Like we we should make technology that doesn't invite or even allow human error. We should make it easier to be secure and that should be by design. And so already I'm just so curious what does that mean? So we've talked a lot about, people say this passwordless future. And it's so true. Passwords have been quote unquote dying for decades now. There's always some new thing trying to get rid of passwords. But the reality, I think, is a lot more nuanced than that. There's been so many different attempts in the last 10, 20 years to replace passwords or improve passwords and the security around them. But all of these attempts have been at the expense of the user. For example, multi-factor authentication. It's a great example of making a website more secure, but it adds a lot of time and complexity to the login process for a user. So that just makes users less likely to turn on MFA or to use sites that require it because it's such a hassle. I think the same is true for forms of passwordless like magic links or one-time login codes. These are better than standard passwords, but the user experience can still be pretty frustrating because you have to switch context between your browser and your email or your phone. It's just not that fast or convenient. There's always this sense of friction there. 
And so when I think about like what a real passwordless future could look like, it's really based around pass keys and a world where users don't need to do a lot of work to be secure. So it's the first time there's a version of something better than passwords that's great for security and user experience, and you don't have to compromise one or the other. There was so much information in there, and I wanted to go back to something really basic. What, this is going to sound stupid, what's a magic link? (laughs) Great question. Yes. So there's a few core types of password lists that tend to come up. One is a magic link. And so you might see this happens on um, websites like medium.com, where you go to log in and you don't actually have a password, but every time you log in, they email you a unique link to your email. And you go to your email and you click on that link and it will log you in. It's essentially a one-time password. They're basically sending a password to your email. You use that to log in. And then once you've used it once, it's no longer valid. So it's a very similar implementation to a password for a website, but it's much more short-lived. So the the threat is a lot smaller of of being compromised. I also wanted to visit uh, multi-factor authentication because it's something we argue a lot about uh, on my team. And when I say we argue, we just argue about whether it's multi-factor or two-factor. And then <laughs> we like argue about how like Amazon sends like what they call theirs. Their term is one-time passcode, OTP. And yep. um, since I have you here, what are your thoughts on how multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication, whatever, how it's been communicated to users. Do you feel like we've done a good job or a bad job? There are a lot of different words and a lot of different types of multi-factor authentication. Like I have it, yeah. you know, the Google Authenticator app on my phone for some of my apps and I have I get text messages for other apps. I actually use WebAuthn or like the, the passkey technology for some of my multi-factor authentication too, which is cool. I find the biggest confusion is remembering which type of multi-factor I have on for which application. And, you know, if I need a two-factor code, do I look in my app or my email or my password manager? And I'm just not quite sure where everything goes. There's almost too many options. So I kind of just wish there was one and I just always knew how to do it. That's so fun. I hadn't thought of it like that, that um, we have in addressing a problem, we've created a new one, which is right that there are different forms of multi-factor authentication. And like you said, you could get a text, uh, you could have a code that's generated by an app on your phone. Um, Like you said, it could be emailed to you. Um, There's people who have like hardware keys, physical keys that also work in conjunction with this. And I think it's also funny because when you start to talk to like, when we put up a tweet about multi-factor authentication or passwords, there are always a good number of people who just start an argument about which is the superior option, right? And that feels like it happens for everything and then we kind of miss the point and it's always like, do we want to tweet about passwords today? Is this a thing that we want to spend our oxygen on? Um, but I wanted to go back to, again, two terms here. One, you said pass keys. Uh, I wanted to say that we will get into that. But before we get into pass keys, we hear a lot about passwordless, as, as you just said. And when I hear something like that, I have a lot of questions about what passwordless means. And my first question, right, is like, what happens to passwords then? Because I have, I have 206 minimum. And so what happens to our passwords in this passwordless future? You know, I don't think passwords are going to completely go away right this second. They're going to be around for a little while, realistically. My hope is that they could become much less common. And like I said, the goal kind of at the beginning around password hygiene and things like that is to really make it 
make that hygiene almost zero, like really leave no room for human error in authentication. But I know it'll be a process. Another natural question is there is I I work for a password manager. What does that mean? (laughs) And I think one password has really embraced this passwordless future and is really uniquely positioned actually to help people in this. The same way I don't know which MFA type I'm using for a particular site, it can also be hard to know, did I use a password or social login or a pass key for a particular website? And so 1Password is already in a great position to be kind of be the source of truth for all of those logins and keeping users secure, keeping all of their credentials accessible, no matter what, no matter what type they are or where they are. And I think that's really exciting. And we've mentioned the term passkey. There's no better time to drill into it than just right now, right? What is a passkey? Yes, a passkey is a passwordless credential that makes it faster, simpler, and more secure to sign in across websites and apps on the internet. The technology behind this is an open standard called WebAuthn, which is based on public key cryptography. So what does that actually look like when you go to use it? If a user signs into an account on a website or an app that supports passkeys, they can select a button, sign in with passkeys. This is going to prompt your device to generate a unique key pair for that website. The public key will get stored on the website server, and the private key will be stored only on your device, and it's protected using your biometrics like a face ID or the Android fingerprint reader. So when you go to log in on that site, you actually unlock access to that private key through your biometrics. You sign a challenge with that private key to prove your identity. And then the website uses the public key to verify that you are who you say you are. So there's a a couple key points here. One is that the private key never leaves your device. The biometrics data of your touch ID also never leaves your device. And the public key, which is the thing stored on the website server, if that's compromised, it actually doesn't matter. That key can never be used to access your account. So there's a couple things here that I'm curious about because also, you know, maybe folks haven't heard of the public-private key relationship. And so it sounds like the way this works, right, is that let's say I go to a store. Let's make it physical. I go to that store and say, hey, I want to create an account with you. That store says, hey, that's totally cool. That's fine. To access our store in a secure way, we're going to generate, we're going to create keys. And you're going to get a key and we're going to get a key. And I don't like the words keys. Sorry. um, But like, uh, that's just a thing. I could get into it, but I won't. They're going to say, look, we have one key. You have another key. And both need to be together to work. And it's not that you put that key on your key ring, it's more so that you prove that you can use that key based on something else, like your face ID or your thumbprint. Is that a tortured example of how, a tortured metaphor of how that works? (laughs) I think that's pretty close. It's almost like, it's more so than the ownership of that key. It's also the fact that you are yourself, right? Like you have to have that, that biometric access and access to that key. And so the comparison of like a password, for example, and trying to enter, like make an account with a store with a password, it's more just like, you know, a word and you say the word to them and they're like, yep, that's the word. You have this sort of shared secret between you. And that's much easier. An attacker could overhear you saying that password one time or they could 
just ask you and you tell them because people do that sometimes. Instead, you actually have to, you physically have to be at the store and have the key to get in. And that's a much stronger security model. Yeah, it sounds like this is, I think we should also clarify too, like when we talk about, you know, having a private key, it isn't something that you can remember, right? Like the way that we remember passwords, the way that we, you know, I was going to say used to, but I'm sure a large portion of the world still assigns street names and first pets and things like that and years that they were born, even though they're not supposed to, please stop doing that. But that's how they still make passwords. Here, that can't happen. You can't be asked for your private key and you you rattle it off because from my understanding a private key is like hundreds of letters and numbers that are randomized is that correct that is correct so you definitely couldn't memorize it you also can't really access it like all of the operations done with your private key are done on the secure enclave of your device and the intention is that like you're not supposed to be able to see it or get to it it's just supposed to do its math inside of the secure part of your device and send that straight to the website like you don't have to even worry about it so from a usability perspective it looks like you're just doing your touch id or your face id and behind the scenes all this stuff is happening but you don't need to know about it you're not really supposed to know about it so it's great and then all of this this, I'll just call it technology. Is this something that websites are capable of doing? You know, the, the, the generation of a public and private key for millions, if not billions of users? Yeah. So a lot of the generation actually happens on your device. There's, there's APIs in the browser to help you with this. It is harder than passwords for websites. I do think that's true. Adoption will take a little bit of time because it's just harder for developers to implement. There's a lot of complexity between having different devices. I mean, most of us log in. I have a phone and a laptop and a tablet and all these different devices that I log into the same websites on. And so there's a lot more complexity when you go from this like one-to-one relationship between a password and an account to this like one-to-end relationship between my account and all of the devices and all of the keys on all of those devices. So it's definitely a lot harder to implement. That's why there's a lot of work being done by 1Password and other companies to make that easier for developers. That's a really big effort right now and really critical to the adoption of passkeys. Yeah. Something you also said that piqued my interest is that, like you said, the private key stays with your device. What happens if I change devices? <laughs> Good question. So that's a little, maybe was a little misleading. For the most part, <laughs> your keys stay with your device but they stay within your device ecosystem. So WebAuthn has been around for a really long time and was designed to have the keys specifically stay on your devices. But that was actually really hard and led to a lot of adoption problems because of exactly what we're talking about here. So when we say pass keys, what we actually mean is WebAuthn credentials that are able to be synced through a variety of, of very secure methods. So for example, in the Apple ecosystem, they'll be synced through your iCloud keychain. There's a very secure way to share. You might already share passwords that way, things like that. You can also share pass keys through your 1Password account and sync them to your different devices that way. That's a really great platform agnostic way to do it. But when we say pass keys, we mean they're generated on a specific device securely but they're able to be synced through these different cloud methods so that they're actually more usable. Something else that you mentioned is that, right, like WebAuthn has been around for a while and 
I don't know what a while means, so that might help me understand. But also the question, kind of the bigger question is, why has it taken us this long to get to this idea? Because I hear this idea and I'm like, that makes so much sense. This is so much better. And then I wonder, why have we had decades then of bad passwords if this technology has existed? Yeah, it's still, I'd say it's in the last 10 years or so. The FIDO Alliance is an open industry group focused on new online authentication standards. They're really the ones paving the way for WebAuthn and passkeys. I think they started uh, maybe 10 years ago. So there's been a lot of work in this space, creating the protocols to make this possible, getting the support of the platforms to to implement these protocols in their, in their browsers and in their platforms. And just in the last couple of years, I think passkeys were announced less than a year ago originally, like the syncable version of WebAuthn. So the momentum has really, really picked up in the last six to nine months. And it's really exciting, really fun time to be in the industry. What we found is that, you know, one password along with Google and Apple and Microsoft, we're all on the board of the FIDO Alliance. And we're really focused on making new ways for passkeys to be available to users in ways that they weren't before. So things are moving in the right direction, but it's really about teaching people why this technology is great, what the benefits are, um, making sure that passkeys are actually accessible to users in a way that maybe they weren't five, 10 years ago. We mentioned that passkeys are safer. They're more secure, I think is a way to put it. And I wanted to contextualize that better. What are they more secure at? Like, are they safer or better at certain things than passwords are? Uh, the short answer is yes. I saw I saw a stat the other day that it was over 80% of breaches last year mm-hmm. were somehow related to credentials or credential theft, which is yeah. so high. <laughs> so one of the main goals of passkeys is really to eliminate that threat. Specifically, passkeys prevent attacks that are based on like guessing or stealing a password to access someone's account. This can also include phishing attacks because a passkey is tied to a specific domain at a protocol level. So you can't use a passkey that's registered at facebook.com on a lookalike site, facebook.com with a zero, even if you're tricked into trying to do that. So there's a lot of really good security benefits that are built into the technology to make it safer in a really automatic way. That's really cool to learn because that is something that happens all the time. We are tricked into giving up our passwords because we think a site looks convincing or we're tricked into giving up our passwords because, you know, a common, like an extremely common scam is, you know, you get an email that looks like it's coming from Netflix and it's like your account's going to expire or some like bizarre urgent thing is needed. And it says, okay, just click the link in the email and then fill out your information and then you'll, everything's going to be fine. And what it is, is right that entire website that you went to is fraudulent. It's bogus. It's made to look like a Netflix login when it is not. And so what you're saying here is like, even if I clicked a malicious link and I used the passkey method, like I, my iPhone scans my face and it says, okay, I'm trying to communicate. And then it says, sorry, this isn't Netflix. This isn't Facebook. This isn't going to work. That's pretty much something that happens with passkeys. It's pretty close. So basically your iPhone won't even, well, like I don't have a passkey for that site. Like it won't think that it knows how to log in there. And so, but even if for some reason it did, like that passkey would not then work on a different site. So it's actually really cool. And I think stuff like this is so 
awesome. And that once people see the tech and they learn about these benefits and they see how easy to use, they're definitely going to want to use it. We just need to get people that first exposure to it and then they'll, they'll come to love it. Do we have any examples of pass keys in use right now? Because we're talking a lot about technology. We're talking a lot about, like, I'm having trouble finding the words for the very process of entering one, quote unquote. And so I wonder, do we have examples where people might know, like, oh, that's what's happening? Like, when I log in, that's what's actually going on. Do we have that? Yeah, a few apps that I know of are ebay.com and bestbuy.com. They've both adopted pass keys as an option for users to log in, which I think is the adoption model we'll likely see going forward, specifically like supporting pass keys alongside of passwords and kind of allowing users to make that transition when they're ready. Uh, so that's those are some of the common ones I'm seeing. That's so interesting. Those both of those companies are not companies I expected. I hear some like pass keys, and you you know I hear that the development has really really ramped up in the past six to nine months, and the adoption with that. And so I'm thinking like far off like high tech company that does like AI or like a company that has to protect its like intellectual property, like a biopharma outfit. And it's two companies that have enormous familiarity with consumers. That's just very reassuring to hear. I wanted to stay on the topic of passkeys. And I want to know who is leading the charge right now, sort of just in both the development, right? Like who's making these things? And also, of course, like I said, the adoption. Yeah. So we'll start on the development side. The Fido Alliance, like I mentioned, is really leading the way and kind of coordinating with a lot of different groups, 1Password, Google, Apple, Microsoft, lots of other companies to find ways to make passkeys available to users giving developers easier ways to implement passkeys in their websites. On the adoption side, I think you know, you're saying eBay and Best Buy are kind of surprising options. But actually, I think e-commerce and retail sites have a ton of benefits from passkeys. In these industries especially, there's a lot of friction associated with logging into apps. And using passwords can actually prevent people from making impulse purchases because they can't remember their password and they just abandon their cart. There was actually a study done, I think by the Fido Alliance that found 58% of consumers have abandoned an online cart and not completed a purchase because of difficulty signing in. That really clearly affects a business's bottom line. And so there's a lot of room for like this one touch sign in and purchase experience with pass keys that can actually streamline that process for consumers. And so these sites are really motivated to adopt that. So I think that's really interesting. Whoever it was at the Fido Alliance who decided to study that in particular as a way to uh, perhaps boost adoption from an industry, that's brilliant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's just sometimes you hear like a stat and you hear the way that it's used to move the needle and you're like, oh, that was really well done. That was just very well done. Way to go. (laughs) I I'm a fan of that theory of change. I would like to talk to those people. I would like to do those things. (laughs) Um, And crazy that everyone's just accepted that that's the case for so long. Like, yeah, half the people who go to checkout just aren't going to finish. And that's just like a thing we accept because passwords are the only option. Like that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me of how much, like how easier payments became when you could confirm a payment on your iPhone just by using Apple Pay and like double clicking on the side. And rather than having to go through a checkout process and entering, you know, physically entering your credit card information, it has made impulse purchases 
too easy. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> now to remove even another layer of friction, I just I can just see, like you said, a lot of e-commerce just racing to get this done. I wanted to ask, right, you're the head of Passwordless from a password manager here. What are you folks doing in this space? Yeah, we have a very exciting roadmap through the rest of the year all around powering and, and driving this passwordless future. So we joined the Fido Alliance last summer and then 1Password acquired Passage Identity in November of 2022. That's the company that I co-founded and actually how I joined 1Password. If you follow us, uh, you may have seen some teasers in the last few months about some upcoming features. One is the ability to create and save pass keys in 1Password alongside your passwords. We talked about this earlier, but super critical in bridging the gap between passwords and pass keys and supporting all those different login methods that users might need. The second angle is that we're going to actually allow users to not have a password at all and use pass keys to log into 1Password, which I'm really, really excited about. And then lastly, we actually have a passkey directory, which you can find at passkeys.directory. And we use that to showcase all of the new websites, apps, and services that are using passkeys for authentication. We update this on an ongoing basis, and it's a really cool way to see and actually vote for websites that you use that you want to be able to sign in with passkeys on. So there's a lot of exciting stuff coming out of 1Password right now. We actually have a newsletter you can sign up for on our website if you'd like. But really excited stuff. Excited to tell you more coming soon. Are you the only folks who are doing that directory work? Uh, that feels like uh, important public work. Uh, and so I'm just wondering, yeah, are, are you the only ones doing that? Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, but we're really try treating it like a community resource. We accept submissions. If your website supports passkeys, you can submit it to get added. We really want it to be a resource for everyone of both sites that use passkeys, information about how to add passkeys to your website, and a resource in the 1Password password manager for letting you know of new sites that support passkeys and how you can migrate. I wanted to go back to something we were talking about we talk about password hygiene to this day, a lot of rules, but I wanted to revisit what does happen to password hygiene? Like what is pass key hygiene, if anything? I think it's not much. And that's really the goal. It might not be zero, but there really isn't a lot of room for human error. Like we talked about um, how pass keys are tied to a domain and how everything's protected with your touch ID. And so it's actually just a very natural like user-friendly experience. And I think that really helps the security side of things. If we just make it easy, there's no room for error that way. What does this experience look like for a user? Like, I, I just want to know like what they go through. Is it, you know, if they're going to Best Buy or, or eBay and, and they've used this, they've, they've opted into pass keys. Is it just that when signing in, their phone does a face scan or, or a thumbprint scan? Or what does it look like? Yeah, that's basically it. So you probably have seen this experience before, on a mobile app, though it might not be the same behind the scenes where, say I go to log into my bank on my phone and it says, do you, do you wanna log in with biometrics? I say, yes, I do my touch ID and I'm logged in. Behind the scenes though, my bank still has my password. It's just storing that password in uh, you know, my keychain and protecting it with my biometrics, but then sending that password to the bank when I unlock it. But that same experience is what passkeys is. There's just no password behind the scenes. So it's actually a pretty familiar experience to most people. I think anyone with like an iPhone or a modern smartphone has probably seen the experience already. They're just maybe not used to doing it in a web browser or something like that. 
The other cool thing is if you're on a laptop and say you don't have a touch ID or, or a biometric sensor on that, you can actually still use your phone to log in on that site by either like scanning a QR code or using proximity in some way to log in. So that's even cooler, but probably a little more unfamiliar to people. What happens to the industries that are supporting safe password use? You know, and I, my, my, to, dr- to be more specific there, like what happens to hardware keys, like UB keys? Do those still support a smaller set of people who still have to rely on passwords or, or certain industries that don't change with the times or do they just go away? Actually, YubiKeys are WebAuthn compliant. They are actually a form of passkey, kind of the earliest form of passkey, actually, and very portable, actually, in a really unique way. So the same way that I can use my Touch ID on a website to log in, I could actually bring a YubiKey if I want. And that's a really good use case, especially within a workforce, like in an employee environment. The problem with YubiKeys is it's tough for like a consumer environment. Like most regular people don't just carry around a YubiKey to use, but they do always have their iPhone or their Android phone. And so passkeys are really building off of that model of YubiKeys and they use a very similar protocol under the hood. Before we hit our last question, I couldn't help but notice that like there's a lot of good sides to this, right? And when I used to be a journalist, I... I always reported on things. And anytime something sounds like a perfect solution, there's always the question at the back of your mind. I was like, okay, like, what am I missing? And so my question is like, okay, what are we missing? What is the downside? (laughs) (laughs) It's obviously a huge improvement over passwords. The downsides are much smaller. They're largely in, in the implementation and the complexity around the implementation. So for a website developer to go add passkey support to their website can be a lot harder than what they're used to. And so I think that's really what's going to take a little bit of time with adoption. You know, the security is better. The user experience is better. And overall, such a huge improvement over passwords. But we really just need to give developers easy ways to implement this and secure ways to implement it and make sure that they can continue to provide that security and user experience to their consumers every day. I think that's going to be the biggest short-term hurdle. Do we have communities that are working on that? You know, like I'm... I'm reminded of um, years ago, the efforts to, the way it's referred to is to encrypt the web, right? To, to roll out HTTPS to everything. And I wonder, do we have similar momentum or interest to do something like that with helping developers implement this? Yeah, that's actually kind of the final angle of, of the 1Password strategy. The acquisition of Passage was really about giving developers an authentication provider that lets them really quickly and easily implement passkey auth. Finally, the last question here is really big scope. If you could do like the whole thing over, right? The whole password as authentication experiment, what system would you design instead? I love this question. (laughs) I think if I could start from the beginning, I would realize that human beings are going to have identities on the internet. And I think it would be great to tie your digital identity to your real life identity, but in a way that is secure and private. I'd want to like give people control over their data where you know they own their identity and they can grant and revoke access to their information on, on a per app basis. Interestingly, I don't think we're too far gone for parts of this to potentially become a reality. The identity space is so rapidly evolving and growing right now. And 
I think opportunities to do this type of stuff or, or other ways to improve privacy and security are what make identity such a fun space to work in right now. I think it's so interesting because we see a lot of issues with ownership of data and whether companies can collect data on us and, and how they use it. And, you know, different states have different laws. But I hear a, a theory like, hey, let's attach digital identity to who we are to authenticate it. And look, it's better than passwords. But I hear it and I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I, I Maybe it's because I'm already in the world that I'm in today and I've seen how that stuff gets abused. But I am like, well, that, yeah, that's, um, you're not going to have me do it. I don't know. Like that's, and I'm, I apologize for that, but maybe it's because again, the things I've seen it done for, I am uncomfortable with the fact that it hasn't been secure, right? That it hasn't been private. I agree. I think there's a right way and a wrong way to do it for sure. And I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know the right way to do it but I like the idea and I like this vision I can picture in my head of, of how easy it would be to authenticate and how I'd control my data. I just love the concept and we'll see. I'll keep working on it till I figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's, that's great uh, that you've uh, decided to single-handedly solve one of the largest problems in (laughs) cybersecurity. Uh, Thank you for that. We'll check in again in a couple of weeks. um, See how it's going. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Anna, Thank you again so much for coming on today's show. Yeah, I had a great time. It was really great to talk to you. Thank you. To our listeners, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com. And our outro music is by Woa from unminus.com. Today's show was edited by Eric Johnson from lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks.